filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Given my two podcast co-hosts, I think that uh, Adam is more likely to be a Scientologist than Jason. Wow. Is this, hot. <laughs> is this where we want to take this? Again, we want to possibly make jokes at the expense of a famous group? I will say that I, mean, I, I actually Let's say they're not a religion. They're not a religion. Uh, I don't want to... I respect I religions. I don't want to say that because the, I don't want to be sued. Is not a religion. Um, I am not offering any opinion on that group i will simply say that years ago when i was getting over a breakup my roommate decided that she and i should go to the original or the founding church of scientology in dupont circle and take the tour the only way out is through yeah and so we did and we watched a video that was very not our speed um and got a tour of the l ron hubbard house that had a nice Australian lady who was very sad about, um, Oh shoot. What's his name? I am blank. Oh, Ron Hubbard. No, the Australian David actor Miscavige? who played the Joker. Russell Crowe. No, Heath Ledger. Thank you. <laughs> Better just guessing. Uh, names. <laughs> yeah. Not the guy, not the actor who hit a person in a hotel lobby with a phone. The one who played the Joker, uh, he had just passed. And so she was very sad about that. Um, and I was mostly sad that they didn't, uh, test us with their little resistance things to tell us how many evil alien spirits were in us. Um, well, not sad, you know, disappointed. Cause I wanted to grab onto the little handles and see the, the needle move from the resistance uh, from my hand. Uh, uh, but as I, as I found through uh, podcasts, specifically, Oh no, Ross and Carrie, um, you have to get at least a little bit into it before they let you have the e-meter experience. Uh, we weren't willing to, to pay at least. You've got to pay at least a couple thousand dollars really? before they will give you the e-meter experience. Wow. Allegedly, from podcasts free. I've listened to, and that's their whole thing. They allegedly uh, make you pay lots of money for things. It would be funny if you just came back and edited this to drop allegedly into random sentences throughout. Yeah. The funny thing is, we're kind of on topic because uh, DC United allegedly DC United happened to have their preseason in Clearwater, Florida, where they where yes, where Scientology owns a shit ton of property. Like no joke, not allegedly. I mean, allegedly, no, but no joke. They, they there's no bones about that. They own that property. That, that that's where the Sea Org is is initiated is from Clearwater, Florida, where DC United had their preseason. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the uh, floating the alleged army podcast. of alleged religions and Black and Red United podcast. I'm allegedly Adam Taylor. They are Ben <laughs> Bromley and Jason Anderson. No bones about that. We are all allegedly from blackandredunited.com, where we allegedly talk about soccer. Uh, and we also command a fleet of ships. 
That is not true. I think I know. I think you've confused us for uh, no Saudietis. <laughs> no, no, no. Those, those are yachts. <laughs> but a fleet of them. We don't have, we have ships. We have no ships between the three of us. Um, y- you don't know that. I'm pretty I think sure there might be a canoe, possibly a kayak somewhere. Uh, uh, yeah, no ships. Not a fleet. Yes, one. Not an armada. A flotilla? Certainly Certainly not. not. (laughs) Tonight we are talking about DC United because preseason is over, damn it. Allegedly. Season is about to begin. Ben, I was waiting. That's fact. No, that's fact. (laughs) The preseason is only allegedly over, but the season is really, truly about to begin. Before we talk about any of that, including DC United's season opening trip to Orlando City, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I am going with um, the finest boxed rosé that you can find uh, from the great and wonderful K. Roger Marketplace. Uh, Yeah, I'm just having a Bodo Box Kroger uh, rosé. It's a dry rosé. It's not a sweet rosé. Okay, that was Um, that was literally the first thing I was going to ask you. Yeah, it's a dry rosé, so it, it's actually, it's, as far as boxed wines go, it's pretty decent. All right, good to hear. I thought about wine tonight. We have a little bit of leftover red wine, but instead I'm it's having... It's still the year of wine. I'm having Not a Moscow really, mule because we also had ginger beer. And so I have some Civic Vodka from right here in the district, Republic Restoratives, and uh, some lime and some ginger beer, and it's delicious. It's one of the few vodka drinks that I will willingly make for myself do you want a whiskey drink do you want a vodka do drink do you want a cider drink can i tell you guys i was recently at a grocery store and someone pulled it was actually on um was it last wednesday that it was uh, absolutely beautiful outside and i was at a grocery yes. store uh going in to get some lunch and this guy pulled in with a bright green car blasting that song at full volume <laughs> out open windows and I was not sure whether they were having an awesome time or having like trying to make everyone else have a terrible time for anyone who doesn't realize it was tub thumping by uh, Benjamin (laughs) what we have some listeners that won't know that that was a long time if you didn't know that song I you were compelled by honor to email us at filibusterpodcast at gmail.com and tell us you did not recognize the reference because I, mean, I don't it, believe it's a song from the get no emails saying truthfully that I did not know that song. It's a song from the 1990s. I feel like we have some listeners who were like we have a writer for this site, Caitlin Buckley, who was not born in the 1990s. She will have heard of this song. I, I don't believe that. I, I don't know about that. I don't know. Do you guys want to feel very old? That song was released yes. in 1997, which means it is oh, 20 Jesus. years old. 21 years old almost it's that bad jason what are you drinking tonight you old man you i I am so you old warsaw what (laughs) yeah you old warsaw i i I come i I don't know don't don't worry about it ohio's a weird and terrible place warhorse battle saw all of those got conflated into warsaw Okay. okay it's a mashup i'll accept it um so I, I decided to get a little weird um, in part because I went looking for some cognac and they were sold out. Um, and so uh, right next to the cognac is a small selection of Armagnac or Armagnac. I don't, the, fr- the French is tough. There's a G and an N next to each other. I can't do it. 
Um, I think you had. I've always pronounced it Armagnac. There, there's yeah. definitely not an N there, but I'm going to go with Armagnac anyway. Um, okay. I feel like there's supposed to be an N. No, there. it's Armagnac. Uh, even though I'm producing, I'm pronouncing another N. It's not actually there. Anyway, um, since we collectively don't speak any French, uh, I'm just going to move past it. Um, so I got <laughs> uh, Laviette Castile's um, Boss Armagnac. I'm right back to it. Um, so this is basically like it's like cognac's uh, country cousin. It's not really as narrowly defined as co- cognac is very specific. It has to meet certain qualifications. This is sort of it's not as popular. So people are like, ah, do what you want. It's a very broad genre. Um, and so you get a little bit of uh, an adventure with it. it this is um, by Lobby at Castile. It's kind of it's smooth. It doesn't really have much of a boozy nose to it. Um, yeah, it's not as strongly fruit flavored or fruity as some of the other cognacs, but, um, it's, it's really, really agreeable. Uh, this is the first time I've actually had any of it. I have only just opened the bottle tonight. Um, but it's, it's pretty good. I've got to say it's not like spectacular, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm giving it a shot. I'm glad it's working out for you. The last game of preseason worked out pretty well for DC United, despite playing on a terrible field against a, a team that uh, I think Rick the Blasian in our Slack channel put it best, was very, very extra. Uh, they uh, managed to come out with a 4-2 to win to close out preseason and uh, also no injuries to speak of. So uh, successful visit to Las Vegas where they beat the Las Vegas Lights FC brand new team in the USL four to two goals from Yamil Assad in the first half and Darren Maddox, Ian Harks and Lucho Acosta in the second half. But the real star had to be Paul Areola in this one, three assists, Benjamin three assists at that. Yeah. We finally saw Paul Areola turn on what he wanted to do and he probably could have done more if, uh, Darren Maddox had let him do what he wanted. Uh, it's good to see the team's highest paid player uh, really get into a groove and get into what he wants to do. And it's going to just provide Ben Olsen with more questions and more problems because we know how well Zoltan Stieber has been playing. Paul Areola can't be benched. And Lucho Acosta will be coming back in the second game. So uh, Ben Olsen's going to have some interesting decisions to make. I said these were three very similar assists. Um, all of them were on the counter where he got the ball running in behind uh, and, and essentially squared it for for someone to finish. Uh, that is not to take anything away from him. They were not necessarily easy. In fact, he did on the first one, Assad's goal. Ariola did one of my favorite sprinting in the open field things to do in soccer, which is the ball was bouncing in front of him. And instead of like trying to bring it down, he just runs onto it and heads it out into space and keeps running. I've gotten to do that once in a soccer game. And it was probably the high point of my soccer playing career. Being able to do it is, it was really fun. Uh, And and I love to see it when players do that because I think it means they're having fun and that's good. Uh, And in this case, it was very good. Um, Jason, DC played pretty opportunistically in this one. They broke when it was available. When it wasn't, they were were happy to try to build out of the back, sometimes successfully, often not. And they they pressed selectively. Um, do you think this is the recipe we're going to see this year? Uh, to a certain extent. Um, 
especially in the early part of the season with the, the road games piling up. Um, this was a weird game, though, because in the first half, Las Vegas didn't show their characteristic willingness to just throw numbers forward all the time. They were actually fairly solid up the middle, and the game had a long – after the first 10 minutes where D.C. really could have been on the board by that point, um, the game had kind of a long lull where the only real chance came on a Las Vegas uh, corner kick that um, uh, Joel Hiki headed wide at the back post. That was pretty much it for a big chunk of that first half. Um after halftime, Las Vegas started throwing numbers forward and they were still pretty careless with the ball and easy to force turnovers out of. And every time DC forced a turnover, they found themselves looking at two or three defenders to run at and that was it. Um, so it was, it's, you know, if a team wants to take those chances against United, that's probably what we're going to see DC um, do as a, re- as a response. They're going to look for, you know, if teams want to throw numbers forward left and right, then it's going to be a uh, turn them over and counter kind of season, uh, or at least for the first few months. Um, but it, it will be interesting to see what, what happens when the teams are better on the ball, because Las Vegas, for all of their attacking ambition, this is a Chelsea's team up and down. They aren't really that good at keeping the ball. Um they really want to attack and they don't really care what happens if they, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They're not really that concerned. Um, and this is, you know, a team that DC probably could have scored six or seven goals on because of the amount of times they were just able to break out. Um, I do think that part of the factor with that lull in the first half was that they were on the road uh, after a game on a Wednesday, they played midweek and then they flew out to Las Vegas, which I'm sure is by design. Um, because they need to get good at going on the road, possibly on a quick turnaround and succeeding. Um, but yeah, it, I do think there's kind of a blueprint there, especially with the amount of speed that they were able to put on the field. Um, the, the fact that uh, Paul Ariola and Yamil Assad uh, can match Darren Maddox. It's not just Maddox running off by himself. Um, I think there is going to be a an early season emphasis on that sort of thing where it's not necessarily bunker because I don't think they did that. I think what they did was they tried to make sure that in the middle third, they were forcing turnovers. And Mm -hmm. when they did those two wide players and Maddox were all trying to get into the spaces that were unoccupied as quickly as possible. Um, And I think think that as as importantly, the midfielders behind them, uh, Ulysses Segura in, in particular, um, but I think we saw some from Durkin when he came in and, and even some from Junior Moreno. They were looking to hit the ball first time, second time into space for them to run right. onto. And not just not just usually anyway, not just knocking it downfield and booting it far, but like placing a pass into the path of these guys running into in behind. It was something that I think requires anticipation and and really quick recognition. Um and and we saw saw it work out a, a few times, which which sure. I encourage. And and I think it part of that too is um, a quickness to getting to the ball, um, especially with uh, Segura. Segura seems to have a really good knack for when the ball pops loose, when it's mm-hmm. not necessarily been won or lost by either team. He tends to get there first, um, and in getting for getting there first, it gives him that opportunity to pick his head up and say, "Oh, I've got a pass. I don't just have." You know, I'm not just taking a touch to keep possession. I've actually got an ability to, to um, play someone in behind or, or break the lines of the right. pass. And I think maybe that that break the lines phrase, that might be the point of emphasis more than anything yeah. for United this season is 
I don't think they're that concerned about possession numbers. I think they want to break the lines and right. And I think they just want to get into the attacking third as quickly as possible um, and be, you know, a little more high paced, a little more vertical um, than in years past where when the counter wasn't necessarily on, or if it was a challenging counter, this was a team that was going to try and keep the ball and slow things down. I don't know that they want to slow things down as much this year because they've got so much speed and youth on the field now. And they can also, you know, this is a team now with enough depth in the attack where they can play high velocity soccer for an hour if they have to. And then they don't have to sub someone in for fresh legs, who is a significant drop off. They can say, okay, Zoltan Stieber's coming in or Lucho Acosta is coming in or Patrick Mullins is coming in. Um, Bruno Miranda has done well when he's gotten looks this preseason. Um, so you don't have that drop off where you have to necess- you have to wonder whether it's worth it to play up and down soccer for the first hour because you might end up missing out on something in the uh, the last half hour and that might be where you win or lose the game. Um, so it, it's a it's a positive. Um, it's not necessarily going to be as uh, crazy as this one was because M- there's not an MLS team that is <laughs> that has the Las Vegas combination of attacking ambition and just a complete carelessness towards the defense. Um, I think we I think we've. Uh, buried the lead on the most important part about the Las Vegas lights is that they had two llamas in their team photo at the beginning of the game. There's a lot going on with uh, Las Vegas, <laughs> but there were two yeah. llamas like, in their team photo, like where you see yes. like the first row of people squatting and then the second row of people standing behind them. They had two llamas in that photo. They, not, they had two them. llamas. They had, there's nothing about them that isn't really, really extra. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Their, their jerseys. I, I know a lot of people dislike those jerseys. I can't. I can't disagree with you more strongly if you if you feel that way because if you're a Las Vegas team, Garish is the only way to yeah. go, and they went all the way there, and good for them. Um, Complete with I don't like everything about what they're doing. Face on the inside yes. of the jersey. <laughs> yes. Um, which DC United immediately clowned on social media, which is what you do. Yes. Like that's kind of the fun of it is that Las Vegas talks a big game. And if it doesn't work out for them, other people will make fun of them, but that's, that's good for them. That, that should be awesome what they're going for. for that. Like that's great. People. Are yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's what they oh, want. Yeah. They're the first they're, explicitly they're first. troll team in uh, American soccer. <laughs> And, and I mean, their first preseason game, I can't remember if it was not uh, Vancouver, but it was a they played somebody else from MLS before that. Um, but their live tweets from that game included like mild obscenities. Um, there was a dam. There was a hill, um, <laughs> which I thought was actually completely fitting for a team that's in Sin City and is going to adopt this persona. Good for them. Um, they should be nuts. I mean. El Chalice got ejected against Vancouver and hopped into the stands and smoked a cigarette while continuing to coach the team as well. That reminds me. Um, I think this might, have been, from the this might have been the first game Las Vegas Lights FC has ever played in that involved no red cards. <laughs> not not for yeah, lack of it trying. It could have by, involved by Vegas. Um, yeah, their, their first game yeah, was against uh, the Montreal Impact. And I mean, yes, screw those guys. They deserve everything they get against Las Vegas Lights. Yeah, and Las Vegas could have had a red card inside five minutes because Carlos Alvarez definitely threw an elbow. Um, but uh, it, it was it was a strange game. The referee, I thought, was kind of all over the place with some of his decisions where he was too soft on some things and then too harsh on others. O'Neill Fisher got yellow carded for a standard 
iffy foul at worst. He got younger, or I guess the foul was called and he kicked the ball away. Um, but yeah, it was a weird game. You know, the penalty kick that United gave up was a strange one. Steve Birnbaum's arm just sort of magically floated at the ball like it couldn't help itself. Um, so, yeah, it was as, it was as strange as we expected. I think all three of us expected this to be a weird high-scoring yeah. game, and it was exactly that. Un- un- um, unfor- it was exactly what DC United after dark should be. <laughs> unfor- unfortunately, you cannot come down to Richmond and see Las Vegas lights this year in, in USL, so... I, I apologize to you on behalf of the USL schedulers for that. Wait, are you saying that they aren't going to end up hosting the final against Las Vegas? I mean, that is possible, but that would be the only way in which you could see them. I mean, I don't know which one is more unlikely. I think I think Las Vegas making the final is more unlikely than Richmond hosting them in the final. I feel like Lee Kalashaw is a much more efficient USL coach than uh, – than Chalice is. No, I feel like if Chalice gets the right pieces, he could actually do something pretty great. They have Freddie Adu on trial, Adam. But they're not going to. Well, Freddie, let's be fair, though. Freddie got an assist and very nearly scored. Freddie would destroy Um, USL if he was in his right mindset throughout the entire season, but it's Freddie Adu and it's USL and it's Chalice. It's not going to happen. I I just, I, I bring Freddie up because as much as we're having fun with this game, there were some things to be concerned about. I mean, this game easily could have finished 3-3. If Freddie's shot was about a yard lower uh, in the 88th minute, this is a 3-3 game rather than a 4-2 game. Um, United's defending on set pieces, and especially their throw-in defending in the preseason is, is driving me up a wall. Um, but they also, the goal they gave up was following a short corner. Um, the other goal came... After us, us throw in, they just fell asleep, let the ball come in and allowed a cross into the area that didn't need to be allowed. Um, it, there were, I mean, granted, Las Vegas's way of playing does tend to expose whatever defensive weaknesses you have because they they have no real, they don't really care about defending. So they're just going to throw as many numbers as possible at you and they're always going to attack. So um, you do tend to get exposed a little bit against them. And the, obviously the the upside for your team is that they can't defend for anything. So you're going to get more chances than they are. Um, But for United, there were as much as it was a fun game. There were also some things that left me not so pleased. Yeah, Before we get to those, I want to talk about the goalkeeping situation. Uh, David Osted and Steve Clark, again, split the halves in this game. Osted got the start, I think for the first time this off season or this preseason, uh, in this one, but he and Clark both went 45 minutes. Who's got the inside track at this point? Who are you expecting, if you had to put money on it, who who would you expect to see between the pipes on Saturday in Orlando? I would put $101 bills on David Osted. That's a, that's a bigger bet than I would make. Um, I would bet less on Osted. Um the fact that he was the starter in the preseason finale, which has always been Ben Olsen's like, I'm going to roll out my starting rehearsal. 11. Um, that is the strongest thing in favor of it because otherwise Osted was, he missed some time with the flu. Um, Steve Clark saved a penalty kick. Osted never, the, he never had a moment where he really gave us something to fall back on and say like, okay, that's a highlight where that's definitely a big moment. Um, the defense didn't look particularly more organized with him on the field than Clark. 
Um, I expected this to be less close than it is. I still, I agree with Ben that Osted is the favorite, but I still, I thought by this point we would kind of know that he is the favorite without much uh, hesitation. And I think that there's still, it's not locked in. Um, and I thought it would probably be pretty close to that the, as compared to where we actually are. I'm with you guys. I think Osted probably has it, but I'm not totally sure. I think the flu had a lot to do with that. Um, I think he, we, we would have a better idea had he not missed a game with the flu. And it's, it's like you said, he doesn't have a big moment to hang his hat on, but he also doesn't have, uh, as many kind of, uh, Oh crap moments as Steve Clark has had. So I, I think Ben Olsen will, he tends, I think he will be the more risk averse as opposed to the, the highlight reel save, uh, bias so i think he'll go with osted i think i would go with osted but at this point i i'm not the gambling type but if i had to put some money down it would probably be on osted right now um jason you mentioned there are things from this game that that don't that that have you concerned i think one of those is going to be uh the continued propensity for late goals and in this case that falls on a potentially Steve Clark in the last game. It was, it was Osted, but uh, another goal in the last 15 minutes given up by DC United in this one that I think that makes all four preseason games where, where United shipped a goal late. And that's, are, are you worried about that going into the game against Orlando or is that a, a preseason kind of massive substitutions at the end uh, phenomenon? Uh, I, I don't think you can help, but be at least a little worried about it when it happens that many times. Um, I want to say out of the six, I think it's out of the six goals United gave up five of them came 79th minute or later. Um, which as much as those games were all disrupted by the mass substitutions, um, and you know, United also scored a bunch of late game goals. So fitness is probably also a factor where people get tired, start making bad decisions and, the attacking players take advantage. Lucho Acosta scored two goals based on bad decisions by uh, a tie. As a sub, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, I do kind of have some reservations just from the the fact that it didn't seem to matter who was in. I mean, the, the Garduño goal, the 88th minute goal, came with uh, Briant and Birnbaum still in at center back. Um the Freddie Adu near miss was just moments after that. Um, O'Neill Fisher was also still on the field at the time. That's three of your four starting defenders. Um, I, I don't know that it's necessarily as much. I would like to say it's just down to the games getting muddled and weird uh, because of all the subs. But um, I do kind of find myself thinking that it didn't seem, it didn't seem to matter that much who it was. Um, so yeah, I, I am a little, uh, worried about it. Um, I do know that Ben Olsen said he wanted to have one of the fittest teams in the league, and I'm not convinced that the the team is finishing the preseason at that level of fitness where I'm saying that um, I, I don't get the sense that they can necessarily just run a team off the field from their fitness right now. I don't think they're clearly head and shoulders above other teams. I don't think they look unfit. I just don't think that they look like a team where fitness is going to be one of the things we fall back on and say like, well, we definitely aren't going to get outworked. Uh, we're definitely not going to have tired legs against teams. 
I I think we're at an average level of fitness looking around the league. Um, and that might mean, especially in the early going, that might mean some mistakes. That might mean this late goal thing continues. Um, and if it does, it might be a tough start to the season. Um, it's, you know, it's no joke to get some of these early results because over the years, Ben Olsen teams that don't do well in those first six to eight games tend to not do well at all. Um, so we might, we might know where this team is going to end up by the end of April. And hopefully we're not looking at the end of April saying like, wow, look at all these late goals DC gave up. I hesitate to ask, but we got to talk about defending throw-ins too, because that, that might be even more worrying than the late goal trend, especially since it's something we've seen in past years where DC United, for whatever reason on mm-hmm. throw-ins sometimes switches off. And we've seen the team do better trying to take throw-ins quickly in the attacking third and just get the ball into an attacker's feet and let them do something rather than waiting for everyone to get forward, which means the defense gets set and they're throwing and just trying to and then eventually, if they keep the ball, recycling it back into their own third and trying to build out. They're trying to treat attacking throw-ins as attacking opportunities, but they're not defending throw-ins well in their own third either. Yeah, uh, it's it, it seems like there's a team-wide slowness to get into position, there's a team-wide uh, slowness to adjust to what's coming in. I mean, throw-ins should be easy to defend. The other team, we're, we're not talking about long throw-ins, at least. The ball's not being thrown 20 yards away from the touchline, so you have a natural ally in the touchline to defend. Um, you have something where it's easy to force a turnover or at least disrupt the other team's attack very close by. Um, so you should be able to pin teams in. It should be difficult to get out of those situations, and instead... I just get the sense that for whatever reason across the board, you know, the wide players aren't getting locked in. The central players aren't there to deal with the second pass. It just seems like everyone takes those moments to take a breath when the other team, and it's not like the other teams are hustling to take a quick throw in either. Their DC is getting caught out by just standard pace throw ins. There's nothing special about any of it. Um, It just seems like for whatever reason, there's not a team wide ability to, to focus in those moments. And, you guys know me and focus. Um, if you're not focusing, you're probably giving up something. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that uh, the the first goal, or the, the, I'm sorry, the Freddie Adu uh, miss that I keep bringing up, that came on a long throw and it was just allowed to bounce to the middle of the top of the box. It just kept bouncing along until Freddie ran onto it and hit a volley. Um, that's not acceptable. Um, so as a point of emphasis, it has to be better because I'm sure that, Orlando city knows that this is happening. I'm sure that Atlanta against Atlanta, there's enough to worry about. You don't have to also throw in like, Oh, and also we need to get better on throw-ins. Um, this has to, this has to be fixed quickly because these giving up goals on throw-ins like these, they're not just goal. It, it's not just giving up a goal. They're kind of, it's a demoralizing goal to give up. Um, and if this team gets demoralized early, if there's, they're losing games and getting demoralized, then this is going to be a rough 2018. So this is something to look for right away. This has to be fixed quickly because if if Las Vegas can do it, then Orlando can do it. So Ben, help me out yes. here. How you feeling, buddy? Coming into the season. Just broad zoom out, broad picture. How you feeling? 
Yeah, I'm glad we're. I, I don't want to talk about this the specifics anymore. I want to get more into the, the into the feelings, and I'm I'm feeling fine. I'm I'm feeling okay about this. Uh, we're the team has a lot more talent than than they did last year. Um, do they have enough talent and in the right places? Uh, who knows? We don't know that yet. The, the lack of getting a a target striker, not a target striker, but a goal-scoring striker may be a big deal, probably is a big deal, but they're way more talented than they were last year. Uh, Jared Jeffrey is not going to sniff this lineup, Um, so I'm feeling much better than I was last year, so uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be difficult, probably. I think we're going to be more frustrated than people were hoping, and a lot of that is on the uh the ownership they could have they they spent money but they could have spent more money um but i'm feeling cautiously optimistic going into this season that's good i like that that's that's similar to where i am i think the the road trip is going to be painful but i given what i saw what i hope is a a place to build from against Las Vegas because there were problems and it's not going to be that easy to counter teams in MLS. But I think as a, as a starting point, it's not bad. And I think as the road trip goes on, um, DC United could conceivably grow into it. And if that's the case, then once the, the back half of the year starts and they, if they survive it uh, around a point a game, um, or maybe even a little bit less, then they, they, there could potentially be a run to be made. And we better blow up. We, we better blow up the Rebs in the Union, though. I'm just saying, <laughs> we better blow them up. Right. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Either way, I'm, you know, I'm here for the ride, and we'll see what happens. Jason, anything to add before we get out of here? Uh. Yeah, I mean, as much as I just was on a down note because of the throw-in thing, which uh, I'll be on a down note is anytime that happens uh, on any in any season, that's just not a, a thing that you should be doing. Um, but overall, I think the team, Jason, is- Jason, Jason, I'm going to interrupt you because that's what I'm going to do. Should they sign Rory to lap? Uh, no, because he's good at taking throw-ins, not defending them. Also, I think he he's also short. ancient. Um, yeah, but no. Um, as much as I was just on the down note, um, the team is undoubtedly more talented um, than last year's team. Um, they're faster. They're younger. Um, they're I less like Jared Jeffrey. Yeah, exactly. Um, they're less. Are there? There's uh, Ulysses Segura has been really good. I think. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be flashy, but I do think he's going to be the kind of guy that. Um, the team is better every time he's on the field. Um, so far, I've been really impressed with him. Um, I love the fact that they've got a, a problem of having four starting caliber attacking midfielders for three spots. Um, Darren Maddox has played better than I was expecting. Um, yes, yeah. he didn't. Yeah. He, you know, he didn't uh, pass uh, when he should have in this last game. But at the same time, I mean, one Darren Maddox has always been that guy. Uh, when he plays as a striker, he is going to shoot rather than pass. That's not to say he's never going to get an assist because he got an assist against Jacksonville. 
Um, he got, I think, four or five assists last year with Portland. So it's not that he doesn't ever get assists, but when the chance, the choice is between a shot and a pass uh, and it's a toss up, he's going to choose shoot every single time. Um, but that's, you know, it's good that he's confident enough to be choosing that rather than um, the other side. Uh, he's, I think it was three goals out of the four games. Um, so he looks good. It looks like he and Zoltan Stieber have a good understanding, which is a big positive. Um, Stieber, by the way, is playing awesome right now. Um, yep. he so well that he might not be the fourth man in that, that four man, uh, group. Um, you know, I, I like a lot about the build of the midfield and the attack. I'm a little more nervous about the defense. Um, uh, I'm a little more nervous about the fact that junior junior Moreno seems to play very well, except once a game, he makes a pass that just can't be explained. Um, which might be start, a killer Chris, in these early Durkin games. Start, Chris Durkin, start, um, Chris Durkin. But yeah, I, I think overall, I feel, like, I feel more positive at this point than I have for a while about this team. Um, I, I think they've actually got a chance to get through the road trip without being completely sunk. Um, they unless, do the, unless O'Neill Fisher gets hurt before uh, Taylor Kemp gets back, and then they're just that. I mean, I might as well play left back at that point. I think Let's, Chris Odoyachim is a little faster than you. Um, I don't think I, that much. I think he is extremely fast, more fast than all three of us put together. Uh, he's, if he's, that he's would make us faster. He, no, it um, wouldn't. And he's uh, regardless, he's much faster than me. But but I will say that I mean the the pressure really on the early going part of the season is those two home away from home games. Those have to be wins. Those are bigger games than regular season games tend to be, especially we tend to think March and April almost don't count in MLS. If DC doesn't get wins in those games, they have to get road wins against somebody else. Um, And that's asking a little bit much, I think given the number of uh, players that given the amount of turnover. Um, So those two games need to be six points. So um, I am a little wary about that aspect of it, but I do think the team looks significantly more talented and built not just for this year, but I think next year they're, they don't have to be, it doesn't have to be a massive turnover to get good again because they've added all of these guys that are 24 or 23. That's a big positive. So that's it for DC United's preseason. We will be right back to preview the first game of the actual season this Saturday in Orlando. Stick around. This is filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> 
they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, the 2018 season, and DC United's Magical Mystery Tour uh, are upon us. They officially get underway Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. on News Channel 8 here in the DMV. Uh, they'll be in Orlando against the Fightin' Purple Lions. Michael Citro runs the mainland.com, our Floridian sister site, and he's here to help us preview the season opener. Michael, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back, guys. You know how this works. What are you drinking? I am uh, currently drinking a Southern Tier Brewing Company Blueberry Tart Imperial Sour Wheat Ale. That is a lot of words, and none of them sounded bad. Yeah, it's pretty tasty. Excellent. So my next question would be, normally in this situation, would be about how your preseason has gone and and what Orlando looks like in their preseason games and, and... other things along that avenue, but they they haven't really made their preseason available this year. What's going on? Nobody knows. It's a mystery <laughs> of the universe. Um, yeah, I, I think um, it's sort of been this way since the beginning, even when Adrian Heath was here, but it's gotten even more and more secretive as the, uh, the years have gone on. And this year they said, yeah, all of our preseason scrimmages are closed until like the last 10 minutes. So, you know, by the time you roll up, you know, guys that are going to be looking for loan spells in the USL are on the field and you have no idea what kind of tactics, what kind of shape, who's starting, you know, uh, it's really hard to tell what's going on. And it's uh, it's a little bit frustrating, but I think it's going to make for an exciting day Saturday for everybody. You get to meet (laughs) the team, basically. Yeah, and some of the guys, of course, have been uh, late arrivals. Some have not uh, been on the field for various injury issues. So it's it, it really is anybody's guess what we're going to see Saturday. But uh, I think we'll see. I think it's safe to say we will see a whole lot of Justin Miram on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's on, on paper anyway. Orlando City may have had the best offseason. You guys may have won the offseason in MLS well, this we, year. Do we get a trophy for that? Uh I live in in the area where the the Washington National Football League team is, and the answer is no. You don't get hardware for winning the off season. Well, and uh, uh, as it turns out, and, and Toronto FC from two thousand eight through twenty twelve was like, nah, you don't win it for Give it five years. And things. Like free trophies at the very end if Toronto <laughs> FC is any guide. Uh, so so. With all that, you may have won the offseason even while losing a former Ballon d'Or winner. Tell us about the comings and goings down there. It's been pretty amazing. Um, a lot of guys were not uh, renewed at the end of last year, and that's, I think, to be expected given some of the salaries and some of the uh, just the the performances that they were putting forth. And it's it became obvious that some of the guys were just getting up up there a little long in the tooth to do what what needs to be done in the modern MLS and what needs to be done for Jason Christ in, in his formation and his tactics. And uh, 
So we saw the writing on the wall pretty early that we were not going to see a return of Kaká. He got he did get an offer, but I'm sure it was one of those things where it's like, okay, if he takes it, we'll sign him. And uh, but it's not a big deal if he doesn't take it. So we'll just give him this this little low ball offer and uh, you know make a token effort to see if he'll stay out of uh, loyalty or whatever. And uh, you know, and then guys like Antonio Nocherino and, and Giles Barnes were also Boom. showing the door. Yeah, you're. I think you guys made out on that deal, actually. Yeah, I think we may have won that trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so a lot of exodus, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people leaving, um, and then uh, you know, when one week went past of the off season and nobody was signed yet, of course, everybody went bananas here in Orlando that uh, they're sitting on their hands. Atlanta's got this guy Barco coming, and you know the the usual fan uh, panic when a team signs a player and your team is not the team that has signed a player. So, um, and, and it started slowly, started with a couple small deals. And then all of a sudden you start hearing, um, you know, the, the Hostway Coleman rumors and, and that whole thing came about and you start hearing, uh, well, you didn't really hear anything about Justin Merrim. That just kind of popped up out of nowhere. And then, uh, same with Sasha Kleshton. It was like, okay, Sasha Kleshton is going to probably go out west. Maybe he's going to Minnesota. Oh, my God, he's coming here. <laughs> you know, And it was kind of one of those deals where <laughs> I think Orlando City fans' immediate reaction was like, I don't know what feeling to have because I hate that guy. But now he's my guy, so I don't know if I should still hate him <laughs> or you know, if there's some kind of – let me see if I can find a redeeming quality. And then I can latch onto that, and then uh, and then we'll we'll end up liking him later. But uh, it, it was a little bit of a a shock, I think, to see one of the most. I think the only thing more shocking would have been if Orlando City had signed Kai Kamara. Um, a lot of a lot of hatred <laughs> here for Kai Kamara. So um, so it, it's it's been amazing. It was uh, you know we all have been waiting all year for a center back to be signed, and finally they they brought in. Uh, Amro Tarek and we thought well that that's not that exciting and it's okay I guess it's it's a it's a body and uh, then uh, uh, Lamine Sané came about and and that was a lot more palatable I think for everybody so um, you know and a lot of under the radar moves too like uh, uh, getting a Cam Lindley from uh, Chicago a lot of upside you know a young player the uh, the draft pick Chris Mueller has been phenomenal in preseason. At least if you believe what the club tells you that he's scoring all the time. He's, none of us are there to see him do it, but they're saying he's scoring goals. So um, it, it's it's been a a very surprising offseason, a very active offseason. And uh, I think those initial people who said that the club's just sitting on their hands, they don't have a plan. I think um, had a lot of uh, egg on their face at the end of the the offseason. Uh, Michael, I know that a lot of the, a, a lot of the, the talk has been about question and Merrim, um, and this remodeled, uh, attack, uh, Coleman obviously was a, a big transfer. Um, but I think when I look at Orlando from last year, I look at the 58 goals allowed and I think, okay, the defense is really where this is going to be won or lost. You mentioned, uh, Sané, who was playing in the Bundesliga up until very recently, um, Orlando also brought in uh, Uri Rosell, who was a huge factor for Kansas City in their run to MLS Cup uh, in 2013. Um, how much do you think uh, the defense has actually improved? Is it just 
adding better players or, or has there been a focus I think on it's been a, improving a full, the defense as a unit? Um, a, a full team uh, sort of revamping of the defense because I think everybody was happy with Jonathan Spector. I think everybody was happy with Scott Sutter. Um, I think everybody was happy defensively with Donnie Toya, but he didn't give you anything going forward. So they went out and got uh, Mohamed El-Munir, uh, who's very speedy, very dynamic uh, left back uh, to presumably take that starting position away. And it does appear from what we we're hearing that he will be starting there. Uh, and But they needed a center back partner for uh, Spectre. And they always said they wanted a veteran player that, that can play at a high level. I think Sané fits that bill very well. He was playing at a high level in a top four European league. Um, so I, I really think that it was uh, a, a, like a home run signing, really. And Rossell, his signing, and the fact that they brought in so many attacking midfielders, allowing them to move Yoshimar Yotun to a defensive midfield position, I think just having those two shields, a, a Rossell and a, and a Yotun, in front of that back four is going to make for a, a much better defensive club. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a big. I was really impressed with Yotun um, when Orlando came up and played at RFK last year. Um, it was a little different. They were playing the diamond at the time, but um, I think with uh, Peru, this uh, the likely role. I mean, we're we're stuck speculating because Orlando didn't let us know anything about their preseason games. Um, I like that there were a couple times yeah. where they posted like it was like one or two photos <laughs> on Twitter to like prove that the game was taking place. Um, it was like a proof of life uh, thing. Um, but, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, I'm looking through this roster, I'm seeing a ton of MLS experience. You've got, you know, guys like, like Dylan powers doesn't have a viable path to, to a spot on the starting 11. It looks like, um, uh, Jose Villarreal, a lot of, a lot of teams around MLS were finally, were glad that they might have a shot at him. And it doesn't seem like he's been much of a factor in the preseason, um, is how much was the there an effort to build? I think there Orlando's was a concerted effort, knowing they were going to be bringing in some guys that were a little bit older, this, uh, spare um, talent. like a question to to bring in some guys that could come up behind, learn from them, and and take over someday. I think that was the the plan all along. They like I mentioned Lindley, and uh, yeah, Vera Real is another one of those players. I think there are uh, you know Coleman obviously is very young, so there was a a an effort made to not just go get all, you know, 28 to 32 year olds. It was, there was certainly an eye to the future involved with this as well. And um, I think a lot of the guys that they brought in still are in the mid twenties. I think El Munir might be 25, if I'm not mistaken. And it, there's, it was a really, I have to, I have to say that Nikki Budalich, the GM did a great job in, in assembling what looks to be on, as you mentioned on paper, a formidable club, and it may not become one until, you know, the middle of the season, but uh, it, it certainly looks like things um, were going in the, in the right direction in terms of, it, it almost seemed like every single player they brought in was an upgrade over a player that, that left. In fact, not, not almost, I think it, it has been across the board. Every player that's, that's departed has uh, been replaced with a player with a lot more, either a lot more talent, a lot more um, viable, um, you know, tangible evidence of, of, you know, great play or, uh, or more upside. 
So to uh, jump in and kind of push back against that, uh, y'all lost Kyle Laren this offseason, and he's probably one of the best North American uh, forwards in the entire, like, behind Josie Altador, he's probably the best North American forward, so even getting Dom Dwyer, I don't think that's an upgrade, that's a, 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 a lateral move at best, so... How do you think that uh, the team is going to deal with the absence of Kyle Laren? And do you think Dom Dwyer can actually uh, provide that replacement? Yeah, I mean, we've seen a fall off uh, of Laren's production the last three years. Part of that is, uh, you know, the rest of the league catching on to his tendencies. And, and part of it is uh, that he, he quite honestly didn't perform as well. And, and last year he was derailed mid-season by the DUI arrest, and that, that certainly affected him some. I, I would say that he did progress as a player somewhat, but he's certainly not a player you want to see wide with the ball at his feet because he's probably going to turn it over. Uh, he's really, really great at one thing, and that's finishing. If you give him the ball in a good position, I he's mean, that's, going to. I mean, that's the thing. Right, right. He's going to get to it. He's going to put it in the net more often than not. Um, I think the, the thought was Dom Dwyer can do that as well. And also they have upgraded the service so much that um, it should offset if Dom is not quite as good a finisher as Laren, number one. And number two, you get a secondary goal scorer like Merrim can take a lot of pressure off. And, uh, and so I think the combination of having a, a good secondary scorer, which, which Orlando just never really had, a second guy. I mean, they, they kind of did with Molino a little bit. Um, but, you know, he wasn't obviously a, a striker. Merrim is a wing that actually plays more like a striker sometimes. So I think the combination of just having a secondary um, dangerous scorer and a guy who can actually score from outside the box as well, uh, in addition to having all these guys on the field like Coleman and, and Kleschen, uh and Merrim himself, who's a good assist man, to uh, to set up the forward, I think that combination will offset Laren's departure, and and I think that you know there was a tendency for Laren at times to disappear for long, long stretches, and not just in within one game, but for several games, and I I think it was becoming clear that he was unhappy uh, in some respects. Uh, he he was not. You know, he was not oblivious to the fact that he wasn't getting paid very much uh, you know, based on his production. But the plan always was from day one: we're going to bring this player in, we drafted him, we're going to we're going to develop him for three years, and then we're going to sell him. And um, and then when they finally got that three years of service in that arbitrary number that MLS has decided, uh, that's when the club can have more of the sale price. Um, that's when they went to sell him and he already decided that he picked out his place and that's where he was going to go. And that whole, that whole, um, saga of him leaving and forcing that deal and, and God only knows what kind of deal it was. We, we hear that it was probably in the two to 3 million range, which I know the club was looking for five and maybe they wouldn't have gotten that. But, uh, the fact that they didn't have to, uh, share any with the league probably made up for that a little bit. So. Um, it was it was ugly. I, I think the divorce uh, between Kyle Laren and Orlando City's fan base um, uh, left a lot of scars. And I, I, I don't think that he's I mean, he could have been a player that might have had his uh, his number in a ring of honor someday. But that's never going to happen now. And then my other question is about the uh, the coaching front. I mean, uh, 
Jason Christ is in his uh, third year out of the four years that uh, Orlando City has existed in MLS. He's been okay, but I feel like this is a make-or-break year for him. Uh, what do you expect from him, and is there – if – I mean, things are looking that they're going to go well, but do you think if th- things go south, could he get fired in the middle of the year, or do you think he's got a good situation going for him? I think he has the trust of ownership, so I think that they will be somewhat patient. But I do think this is a, a very important year for Jason Christ. I think that if he – with the money that was spent, the deals that were made, if he can't at least get this team into the playoffs, I don't think he'll be around next season. Um, you know, and, and I think it's fair. I think that this is a this is a, a roster that's built to make it to the postseason. So, you know, if he, if he doesn't get them there, then I'm sure he will – he will, you know, he will have uh, be the sacrifice. Uh, but the, the thing is, I've never seen him in his interviews as upbeat and positive as he's been this preseason. It's almost like he's finally uh, believes in the players that he has. I know that he inherited a, a team from Adrian Heath and p- was playing a shape that he didn't yeah. want to play in. And, uh, and then last year, he said all the right things, and they, they really kind of did take – make some moves to try to make the team better. And, and as, as Christ said this preseason, he, they thought they made the moves to be able to get over the hump and get in the playoffs. And early in the season, it looked like that. But he kind of, they kind of underestimated how much the rest of the league had improved, or at least the rest of the Eastern Conference had improved. So uh, they said that the small uh, adjustments they made in the past were not enough. This year in the offseason, they were going to take big swings at it. And they, they I, I think... Um, you, when you see all the moves that they made, and and I think universally, I, I haven't seen a single move that this team has made in this offseason that any of the national pundits have questioned. They've all been overwhelmingly positive. So uh, that's kind of scary, actually, because usually those guys are wrong. But um, <laughs> <laughs> this, this has got to be Jason Kreis's year. Uh, I don't personally think that you can take a team to the finals twice and then just lose it and not be able to coach anymore. I mean, um, I don't think he's so old that the game has passed him by. I, I think Jason Christ is probably still a quality coach, but he's he has to show it this year. So what are the holes on this team? If this season's going to be derailed for you guys, where on the field is it most likely to happen? Well, it may already have happened early this season. Um, with Dwyer's quadricep injury, uh, the backup uh, striker position is unproven. Um, they brought in Stefan Opino from the NASL's uh, FC Miami um, in the offseason, uh, or, or Miami FC, I should say. And Pino is a guy who's won the Golden Ball and the Golden Boot twice in NASL, but this is not that level. So it remains to be seen if he can do it at this level. Um, Mueller's had a great preseason, but, you know, it's a preseason. And even though many of those games were against MLS teams and even MLS starters, you know, he's got to prove that he can do it, you know, in season against the best teams in MLS. And uh, so there's some question marks at striker. Um, we also, you know, we haven't seen the defense play. That's been the Achilles heel for, you know, the entirety of Orlando City's MLS existence. So if that, uh, if the defense doesn't step up, it, it's it's going to be a problem. Last year, the, the not only did the defense uh, fail again, but, the offense, which was good, uh, took a huge step backwards. So, um, you know, 
there's there's obviously two sides to soccer, scoring goals and preventing goals. And those are the two areas of the field that Orlando City has some question marks at striker depth. If if Dwyer misses large swaths of the season, it could it could derail the season. And defense, if Sané doesn't come in and um, partner well with uh, with Specter, uh, that could be an issue as well. Uh, Michael, I, I guess you you've kind of uh, brought up uh, what my next question was going to be. Um, we've been talking about some of the uh, high up stuff. If we zoom in, given that it's kind of weird to say it, but we have a game in a few days. <laughs> um, Dwyer's out. Um, we know that that's been, that's not even a rumored thing. That's Jason Christ confirmed and I'm sure he didn't want to confirm it, but he did. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Stefano Pino. What do you expect out of him? It sounds like he's going to be the replacement for Dwyer for the time being. What are you expecting out of him? Honestly, I think Stefano uh, Pino is going to be a lot like Kyle Lahren. I don't know that he'll reach that height of, of goal scoring. Uh, he has set a goal for himself of double digits. Um, which, you know, that's all well and good to have goals, but let's see how it goes on the field. I think that he's a poacher. He, he's the kind of guy that if he gets the service, he's going to find the net. He's really, really adept at beating the goalkeeper and, um, you know, and, and getting to the ball first in those, uh, those tight areas in the box. So I think that Pino is going to surprise some people this year. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if he gets off to a slow start and maybe uh, playing time, um, you know, is not there for him. But uh, if he if he gets off to a hot start, he actually is a guy who could score 15 to 18 goals in this league, I think. And, uh, I mean, since we're on the topic of guys that are missing, um, much like DC United has a bunch of holdover suspensions from last season, uh, Sasha Kleschen has a holdover suspension that he incurred while he was part of the Red Bulls. Um I feel like that's maybe even a less clear situation. What are you thinking is going to happen this weekend as far as replacing him? Boy, that's a great question too, because Coleman has been out with, uh, with an injury. So we're, we're not sure if he's match fit or not is this could be a more defensive looking team uh, for the opener than what we'll see, you know, a little bit later in the, in the season. I think we may see Will Johnson, um, you know, so here's a guy who, you know, last year was a, a, a fixture in the starting lineup, and we this, we're just now getting around to talking about him. That's how much the team seems to have upgraded, and in, in like every aspect. So he may see some some uh, some playing time and a, and a start this week. Um, I think the expectation is that Pino will replace Dwyer up top. Question being out, I think you're probably going to see Yotun moved forward um, and and try to uh, to pull the strings in the middle of the pitch. I think we'll still see Merrim out wide, and uh, I'm not sure, but I think we may see Will Johnson on the right side. And then uh, if Rossell is match fit, he will be in the lineup, and if not, we'll probably see Christian Higuita, um, you know, in the defensive midfield. And, and uh, you know, it, I'm not really sure what kind of shape this uh, is going to all take. I don't know if there's going to be a second striker. Jason liked the 4-4-2 last year almost to a fault. Um, and I think some Orlando City fans would say to a fault. Um, but it certainly seems that this team has the personnel to run a four, uh, a four, two, three. Yeah, I've, I've been, I was kind of from the outside expecting it, but then I kept running into the fact that I'm sure I, I, I've pulled my hair out about it. I can only imagine how you guys are dealing with just not having the ability to see what your team is going to do. Um, but uh <laughs> I think it's interesting that Orlando comes in with such a – they do have 
the options that you know, they've got so many players. Like if Coleman is out as well, um, they've still got, you know, we mentioned powers before. Um, I know um, Richie Larea, I think they want to make him more of a factor um, from afar. It also seems like Pierre Da Silva is, is someone they want to bring in and actually have him play MLS minutes this year. Um, do you think any of those guys has a shot or is it more like Mueller um, and the other players we've already talked about? I think Larea won't be available. Uh, he's been he, he's just now getting back to training from a, an okay. adductor strain, so I think he won't be available. Uh, De Silva is a guy who is funny, but most of the footage has shown him on the right side, and he's a left-footed player, so it's uh, interesting. But uh, he didn't look out of place there. He he really uh, from some of the the B-roll footage that the club sent out, uh, he was creating chances, especially I think in the. Uh, first couple of preseason games. So he's a guy who could actually uh, see some minutes off the bench. Dylan Powers, you mentioned, he's a guy who could play in the attacking midfield or the defensive midfield. I mean, he's a former rookie of the year, and he's probably, I, don't, I would say, one of the last midfielders off the bench maybe. So that's a nice luxury to have. You're talking about depth. I mean, this is really the first year Orlando City has appeared to have any depth whatsoever. Uh, but with the caveat that we really don't have a fourth center back right now after trading Jose Aja just yesterday to Vancouver. Um, there's some talk that uh, Donnie Toya has worked out at center back. Um, there is uh Schuler, the former RSL player has been uh, trialing in the preseason with the team. There's some thought that he could be signed and, um, and then, but this club has the last two years really been good at surprising us. And, you know, who knows what they're going to come up with or what they're thinking for that fourth center back uh, spot. So I want to end things talking about the, uh, the stadium because DC United is moving into a new stadium this year. You guys moved into a new stadium last year. Mm -hmm. Um, What do we need to know one year on? What, What did you learn in your first year in a new building? Well, first I want to congratulate you guys because you guys have needed a new building for a long, long time. So I, I feel good for you guys getting your getting your stadium finally, Woo. <laughs> and the fact that you beat uh, beat New England to the punch. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we beat I, and we beat it like on the may field. Never come. And you can wait five years and you'll still beat New England to that stadium. Yeah, yeah. but, oh. but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think the the main thing is just that feeling of ownership. Uh, I actually normally covered the team from the press box but last year on opening day i went and i stood in the safe standing section the supporter section uh to get a sense of what that experience was like and it was just 90 minutes of goosebumps it was just it's it's not even really something that you can articulate i mean i tried i wrote a story about it <laughs> it's really hard to get across just what that feeling is like is that we've you know and, and We've only been around a few years. Even if you count our USL years, this is only seven years. So, it you know of history. So, it's not been a, like a long and winding road, and where it has it kind of has been for you guys. But just walking into your own stadium has a, it just has a completely different feel to it. And the way that the stadiums are being built now, it was loud. It was. I, the word I think I used was pulsating. I mean, the, the stadium just pulsated for the entirety of the match. And 
there's really no comparison. I mean, even with 60,000 in the Citrus Bowl, it seemed louder at Orlando City Stadium in the opener against New York City than it did in the 65,000 plus fan opener against New York City at the Citrus Bowl. It's just, uh, it's an unreal feeling and it's, it, it just feels more like it's yours. It feels more like it's, like it belongs uh, to you. There's more ownership for the fan base. Um, I think for the players, I think it pumps them up and um, everything is just going to be so much better once you guys move into that new stadium. I can guarantee that. <laughs> well, we've got a lot of road games before that <laughs> happens and, and some off field in the stands issues to iron out as well uh, for the team. But the first of those games is this weekend against Orlando City. Michael, thank you for coming on to, to preview that for us. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. I love what you guys do. And I love the fact that I get to drink while I'm with you. Hey, we wouldn't yeah. have it any other way. <laughs> tell tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet. Uh, you can find our stuff. Uh, we we do pretty comprehensive pre and post match, uh, you know, uh, coverage at themainland.com. Maine is spelled M A N E because we're punny guys, and uh, it's a lion thing you wouldn't understand. But uh, you can also find me uh, on Twitter, Mainland Michael. Uh, and uh, also follow us on uh, our, our website uh, on the uh, on the Twitters at, at the mainland. And again, Maine always spelled M A N E. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Everything spelled the normal way. <laughs> Boring. We're also on Twitter at Black and Red U for the website at filibuster DCU for the podcast. Again, everything spelled exactly as you would expect it. Black with just a K, not a C. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Don't listen to Ben. Never listen to Ben. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, especially if they're about Chumbawamba. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, the Internet Archive, wherever you can find podcasts. You can probably find us mostly, though. Please tell a friend about the show. Uh, that's the best way to get the word out. Even better than ratings and reviews, which, of course, we also appreciate. Uh, we're going to talk to you real soon. We'll have a real regular season game to break down next week. So we'll be doing that. Until then, for Jason and Ben and thanking Michael one more time, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Don't trust Ben's lies. You're never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. Oh, but I get no, up again. You're, You're never, never going to keep me down. The podcast is over. We're never doing it again. <laughs> We've said that for like three weeks in a row now. 